Hello and welcome back to the Bible Companion series with P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study chapter by chapter. This is Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 4, the fifth complaint, thirst. After a period of travel from the desert of Sin, they camped at a place called Rephidim. The Lord was leading them with the pillar of fire and cloud, so it was no accident that they were brought here. He was testing them to see if they would trust him. There was no water to drink. Instead of turning to God in prayer to provide for them, as he had just done with manna and quail, they turned on Moses and demanded he provide water for them to drink. He understood they were shooting the messenger. He asked, why do you quarrel with me? And why do you put the Lord to the test? All they could see was this man who led them out of Egypt. So they grumbled, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Really? Again? This was their fifth complaint. Moses, as his habit was, took the matter to the Lord in prayer. What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. They were angry enough to kill him. Verses 5 through 7. God's response, water from the rock. God responds with another miracle. He tells Moses to go in front of the people. This would remind them he was their leader. He was also to take some of the elders of Israel with him. This would show a united front and lend support to Moses. He was also to take the staff or rod with him, with which he had struck the Nile. God promised to be right there with him. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Then he is instructed, Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa, or testing, and Meribah, or contending, <clears throat> because the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Future generations would be reminded of this incident as a cautionary tale of what not to do. Psalm 95, 7 and 8 says, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. Psalm 78, 15, 16, and 20 shows that this provision was a gracious act of God. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them water as abundant as the, as the seas. He brought streams out of a rocky crag and made water flow down like rivers. And, true, he struck the rock and water gushed out. Streams flowed abundantly. But can he also give us bread? This sounds like an artesian well where water is trapped in rock underground. However, these are usually accessed by drilling for wells, not by tapping on a surface rock with a stick and making water gush out on command. This was a true miracle again. Verses 8 through 13, First Battle. Amalekite victory and support. Then we have the first military battle of the Israelites. The Israelites were called an army by God, but they were just escaped slaves, not trained soldiers. But it didn't matter. God was on their side, and that would make all the difference. They were attacked by a group called the Amalekites. These people were descended from the grandson of Esau, and they occupied the area of the Negev desert. In Deuteronomy 25, 17-19, we're given more details. 
Moses tells them, Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt, when you were weary and worn out. They met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. So when the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you in the land he is giving you to possess as an inheritance, you shall blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Do not forget. Then we're introduced to a man named Joshua. He uh, will become Moses' chief assistant. At this point, he was still called Hosea, but writing in hindsight, Moses referred to him by the name everyone knew him by. Joshua is tasked with mustering a fighting force. This would begin his military leadership. Moses, a man over 80, would stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in his hands. Joshua went to fight, and Moses ascended the hill overlooking the battlefield, along with his brother Aaron and a man named Hur. Hur was the son of Caleb and the grandfather of Bezalel, the artisan of the tabernacle. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held, up, held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So jo Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. This rod was not a magic wand, but represented moral and spiritual support that God and Moses were overseeing the battle and ensuring victory. Verses 14 through 16, ongoing conflict with the Amalekites. Then, as a result of this attack by the Amalekites, God tells Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, and, and in addition to scripture, they recorded their battles in the Book of Wars, which is mentioned in Numbers 21.14. Moses had been trained and educated in the palace in Egypt, so he was literate and more than capable for this task. It was to be recorded for future generations so they'd know the root cause of the ongoing conflict and the plan of God to eventually annihilate this group although it would not happen immediately. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, Because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Moses called God Yahweh Nisi, or the Lord is my banner. A banner or standard can be a flag or another piece of cloth with a symbol, logo, slogan, or message. Later, the tribes would erect standards near where they camped with the emblem of their tribe and move out behind their standards or flags. For example, Judah would be represented by a lion. We see this in Numbers 152. This means God is the standard over the army. God said, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. This gives the impression that because Amalek attacked Israel, it's like they were attacking God, so God swore the conflict would continue until they were destroyed. So what scarlet threads do we find in this chapter? They were brought into difficult circumstances to test their faith. We are as well. 
When they complained to Moses and the leaders, they were really complaining against God. When we fight against God-ordained leadership, we are really fighting God. God graciously provided for them in spite of their grumbling and distrust of him. God sent his son to save us while we were still his enemies. Water came from a rock, an unlikely source. God can make a way where there seems to be no way. Moses struck the rock and water gushed out, sustaining and refreshing them. Jesus is that rock, struck for us on the cross with the rod of God's judgment so that we would experience the water of life. As numerous as the people were, there was super abundant water, enough for all. As numerous as believers have been and will be throughout history, there is the life-giving Holy Spirit enough for all. The place was renamed not to acknowledge God's gift to them, but to remind them of their sin. Sin leaves scars even after we've been forgiven, there are still consequences. Joshua came after Moses, brought them into the promised land, and gave the people rest. Jesus came after John the Baptist, brings us to the heavenly promised land, and gives us spiritual rest. God saw the enemies of his people, fought for them, and promised their ultimate defeat in the future. God sees our enemies, fights for us, and promises the ultimate defeat of our enemies in the future. This was recorded for future generations so they'd know when it was fulfilled and that God's word can be trusted. There are no Amalekites living today. He wrote what had been done and what will be done. We have scripture fulfilled to prove God's word can be trusted and to assure us that the rest will also be fulfilled, even though it is still in the future. The deeds of the Amalekites were recorded, and in the future they would face judgment based on their works. Unbelievers' works are recorded, and they will face judgment in the future based on their works when the books are opened. The Israelites would have conflict with their enemies for generations. Believers will struggle against their enemies of the world, the flesh, and the devil while they live. They call God their banner. Jesus is our banner, leading us in victory. They had victory while Moses' arms were raised to heaven. We have victory because Jesus' arms were stretched out on the cross, and even now he intercedes for us in heaven. Joshua did not tire as he fought the physical battle, but Moses tired in his spiritual battle. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Moses was not too proud to accept help and support. We should not be too proud to accept help or to offer support. Joshua fought for them while Moses prayed for them. Jesus fights for us and prays for us. Continue listening for Exodus chapter 18. May God bless the study of his word.